Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 28th of October 2019. We will start with the extension. Obviously, we're very close to the end of the October the 31st uh, deadline and we're going to get an extension. This is this is recorded just prior to Mr. Macron stamping his feet and saying, no, we can only have seven days or whatever he's going to do. So we are still unable to actually trade export in the next month even, although pretty well it seems clear that we will have an extension. So exports post this month will be tariff-free, which has got to be good news for UK cereal prices. Now, how long that extension lasts, bearing in mind we've missed lots of the November opportunities by not being able to trade it up to now, if we get two or three or four months, then maybe there'll be a whole lot more export going on, or probably there will, and therefore this report is kind of underlyingly bullish. So the current value for feed wheat, if you were looking at May, you would make 140x farm. And everybody's now working off the May futures because the November futures, as we mentioned last week, have become a bigger discount than they should be because nobody particularly wants to take the tenders that Doing Grain are putting in and paying us money for something and having to pay us rent for not moving it at what is an expensive price relative to the market. So spot futures prices now disproportionately low. So if you take the May price of 140 and kind of work back a pound a month to about February, the jumps down are for November, which is a big movement month. I would say values are somewhere in the region of 132 for November, 33 for December, uh, and then between the, the higher prices later on and that month, well, we'll see how farmers let stuff go. Right now, farmers are more interested in trying to get those potatoes out, trying to get the sugar beet out, and they're worrying about the grain that's not gone in the ground. There's been a couple of windows this week for planting, but that's all they're thinking about. And and there's some terrible pictures of uh, clogged up drills and all sorts of things where people are trying to get next year's crop in the ground. Uh, The implications for next year's crop is also obviously bullish on the basis of the number of acres that haven't been planted yet. So there's kind of, if you you lived your life in cheerfulness by price, then the potential for movement, in our opinion, is upward, certainly in the short term, on weather issues and political issues. So taking feed barley, the last of the boats going out in October, we now have possibly November or December to have some more boats going. So I guess we will see feed barley creeping up as well. At this precise moment, November feed barley 117x. Yeah, I think we'll get up to 120 again, um, depending on what currency does, depending on the political decision. That leaves rape. We're still at 315. Um, We're still slightly surprised by that dynamic. The rape price has dropped whilst soya has gone up. And we know that rape was short. We find out that um, the Ukraine have been able to 
export a lot of oilseed rape into Europe to fill the gap. And at the same time, we find that Ukraine are allowed to use neonics. So we've outsourced our conscience and we've given the opportunity for the bees to be dead in the Ukraine. So Europe can buy oilseed rape cheaper than the European grower can produce it, which is completely nuts. And maybe that's a signal of what we've got in the future when our glorious government decides to allow lower food standards and so on, which I've run on about in the past. But the dynamic of that is kind of nuts. If you are genuinely green or you have an argument for pollinators, how on earth can you justify importing a product that you aren't allowed to grow over here because of a chemical that kills the pollinators? So politics at its best. Anyway, with that cheerful thought, if you live your life by price, you're going to be happy because prices, I think, are going to move up a little. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. This is an advert for our merchant listeners. The Norfolk Dinner is to be held on January the 16th. We have a new venue in the city centre, giving a much better experience, showcasing what Norfolk is about. Book tickets or tables via emma at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning I've got with me someone very famous in the county, Grant Pilcher. So Grant, I'd like you to tell everyone who and what you are. Well, I'm not entirely sure I'm very famous, but uh, we've known each other for a long time, Andrew. Um, I'm a partner in a firm called Larkin Gown. Uh, we're one of the larger agricultural firms in East Anglia, in fact, probably independently in the country. And I've spent the last nearly 30 years dealing with largely farming businesses in taxation and accounting matters. Do you find yourself always the grown-up in the room? Uh, quite often, but I, I like to be a bit uh, a bit silly, so we can... Uh... Okay, there is a connection between accountancy and humour. Uh, yes, it's often... <laughs> <laughs> it's not an, a link that's often uh, often made very well, but uh, I, I, I try and bring uh, jokes into uh, my presentations <laughs> because largely what I'm saying is quite boring. And so, yeah, we've done some presentation skills work over the years. And if you can actually make people laugh about every three or four minutes, it keeps them awake. Uh, absolutely my tactic. Humour is, is king. And, and I will say, when you're in a meeting with, with Grant, um, he's got an amazing way when someone says something that, that is kind of off the, off the point or whatever, or not correct in any way. He has an amazing way of his eyebrows going up, which you, you won't appreciate on a podcast, but it's, it's ah, Grant, Grant got that one. <laughs> anyway, I've, I've, we also have Ian, uh, Ian Webster with us this morning. So, Webby. Morning. What we're going to start with is, is the, the influence of, of the key accountants in any county or in any, in, in any business world the influence that you have, how does it manifest itself? How, what, what, how does it work? As a profession, we're very lucky dealing with agriculture. Agriculture is a very long-term business. Each cycle is long, so you plant your seed corn and you, you harvest it sometime later. It goes down the generations. It's probably the only industry now that goes down through families because of capital requirements and history. So you tend to build up a very, very long relationship with uh, your client base. You know, I've only been in Norfolk for the last nearly 30 years, so I'm still coming from Kent. I'm a very much uh, on my best behaviour. You, you have I, got I, a passport now. I, well, it's getting there, I hope. <laughs> but I, I'm always uh, always aware that I'm only here as an honoured guest, I think. I've got um, to just, just to, uh, so the difference between the accountant 
and a grain trader is each generation changes the grain trader because obviously father was wrong yeah and uh, I say father historically that's always the way it went father or mother nowadays but we get changed and then hopefully within three or four years they get their back again and realize that the old man wasn't so bad but they always keep you don't they no not necessarily um, you have to be very careful to understand who's going to be your uh, your boss in due course I grew up with a generation of old-fashioned senior partners who were remarkably rude to uh, the younger generation um, and didn't have an eye to the future. So sometimes our job is quite difficult to make sure that we are giving good advice to both generations. And often their aims are, there's lots in common, but there are different aims. So, you know, mother and father want to understand how they're going to be fair to every member of the family in terms Mm. of handing the assets out. The person who's going to succeed to the trade wants to keep enough of the trade together under their control to enable it to be a viable business. So you're actually, at that stage, trying to make sure that you are giving good advice to all members of the family in a fair and reasonable way. If you can do that, and it's quite a trick, you will stay as the trusted advisor to the family. So you've you've observed the old tantrum then? Uh, more than more than the odd tantrum. Often I've wondered whether I ought to have trained as a sort of a, in the conciliation service uh, and I spend quite a lot of my time talking about accountancy to no extent and it's a question of trying to get family to understand positions. Often I like to come away from a meeting with everybody slightly fed up <laughs> meaning that you've given up enough ground everybody to have found a common area where we can move matters forward. So, is there a point when you can quote the law and say, look, I'm uh, there you is, have to do this. there is, but of course, if you start quoting the law, you're going down the, the route of passing quite a large amount of the family wealth to the legal profession. Yeah, but there's a point when, you know, uh, you, when, you do uh, have to draw, draw stumps. X, um, X child wants the lot, yep. and, uh, you know, the others can get married off or become a vicar or something. Yeah. And, and they don't realise that, in fact, that's mildly fair. It, it, it's a question of who, un, who, in whose mind things are fair. <laughs> It, you know, it, because you may think you've been completely fair, the other side think not. It's a question of equity. And it's also a question of no surprises. If you build people's expectations in such a way that they know where we're going and mm. it's planned for and all they do is end up with where they want to get to and you allow people to have resources at the right time of life. You know, we had, had memories many years ago in Queen Street in our office where we had clients where mother age 92 would come in and the boys would be holding their caps in their hand, walking behind her. Uh, I remember many years when one of my clients phoned up, age 65, and his first words to me was, great news, father's dead. Um, (laughs) Because uh, uh, literally that was the quote. And it was the first time, age 65, (laughs) that this client had had access to any of the books and records, been able to sign a cheque, been able to go to a grain dealer and sell the grain. And at that stage, you're at the end of your career, not the beginning, and suddenly you're running around trying to enjoy yourself. Have you, have you seen a bit more transparency now within families? I mean, is there a yeah, very much so. generational thing that people brought into the business at a younger age? We're seeing actually quite a change because those who were done to quite badly, in the example I've just given, were very keen not to do the same to their children. So you've actually got this squeezed generation where it took them a very long time to get control, and then within three or four years, they've given it away again because they didn't want to see that happening. And it's a question of building trust to ensure that those you are passing a business to are good enough because just being born to a farming family doesn't make you a good farmer. In farming has the inheritance tax benefits, doesn't it? It does. And it's obviously supported land values for quite a period of time. 
did this as subject to tiptoe around, but do you think it will ever lose that status? Well, it's an interesting thing. Last year it was 2017. That was 20 years after 1997. That seems a very strange way to open a sentence. But 1997 was when Tony Blair came to power. And in the period February to May 1997, the lawyers were very busy putting farmland into discretionary settlements, trusts, because at that stage we had good inheritance tax reliefs and we wondered at that stage whether they would be taken away. So what actually happened during Mr Blair's term was that inheritance tax got even more benign through case law and various adjustments. And so we've got to a situation 20 years on where land is still sitting in the trusts and there was no reason to put it in. We've just had a report uh, that has just come out in interim fashion from something called the, rather strangely called, the uh, Committee for the Simplification of Taxation, which in no way simplifies anything. But what what we've been worried about was agricultural property relief at 100% would be abated or removed. Um, The initial report that's come through has said, actually, it's fit for purpose. The problem they had was it was being used by those who are not farmers in large numbers to avoid inheritance tax. There are cases where there's good tax planning in place. You take a million pounds of your cash, you buy some farmland with it, you get a local contractor in to farm it for you for two years. Your million pounds, which would otherwise have gone for 400,000 to the revenue, now goes to the next generation without any charge to inheritance tax. So some of that has happened. There's been lots of comments in my conversations over the years about James Dyson. Oh, my goodness, isn't this just a tax dodge? Well, if that is the case, he's quite a keen tax dodger. You know, the man is a good commercial farmer. Mm-hmm. He, has, he would have had tax relief from his own businesses anyway, business property relief. He's decided he wants to farm and he's doing it properly. Don't think that is a good example of agricultural property relief being used the wrong way. There are other examples. But the government's committee has said APR and BPR, the two 100% reliefs, are still valuable and it allows businesses to have no interruption. This is the point. Businesses generate income tax, corporation tax, every year. That's what they want. They don't want to dismantle those businesses every so often by having to pay 40% of it to the government. Now, if we had a change of government, a socialist government may have a different view. But at the moment, we think those reliefs are relatively sound. Just for the uninitiated, APR and BPR? APR is agricultural property relief, Mm -hmm. and so that's 100% relief at the moment on the agricultural value of assets in a trade. Business property relief is BPR, and that's uh, assets in a business. The difference between the two is that agricultural values for properties are usually less than the business value. A good example is we've got a 20-acre field next to the village hall, its agricultural value might be £8,000 an acre. Its actual value may be £20,000 an acre because there's some hope value attaching to it. Mm. Agricultural property relief also gives relief for farmhouses, farm cottages, and is slightly different to business property relief. What might happen in due course is agricultural property relief disappears and we just have the general test for business property relief, which is, are you using it in your business? Yeah, OK, that makes a bit of sense. Trusts were set up. I mean, this this is where the accountant really does, the, the, the influential accountant really does have a, an impact because the number of trusts, you must be on hundreds of them. Uh, I, yes, um, I sit on uh, as trustee on a number of active trusts. You're also, in uh, as an executor, a trustee. 
So that's usually a shorter period, but you're then going from the transition of the death of the original owner through to the beneficiaries. And of course, I sit as trustee as well on charities and educational setups and all sorts of other bits and pieces. So effectively, a trust is where you're separating legal and beneficial ownership. So you're really there as a safe pair of hands to make sure that the assets are being looked after for the benefit of those entitled. So when someone says, would you become our trustee, do you go, oh, no. Yes, indeed, Andrew, I do. Uh, Trusteeship uh, takes a huge amount of work, and there are lots of liabilities attaching to it. Well, we're getting back to being the grown-up in the room, aren't you? you? I'm sure there's a number of trustees who kind of wing it and just about don't do a lot. uh, And really, you you have a duty of care to the beneficiaries, and they can come back to you at any stage and say, so explain to me, Mr Pilcher, as trustee, why did you do this? Do you know what? I can see why you're picked as being a trustee because there's a whole load of other guys out there. You go, he's not going to bother with that stuff. Sometimes it is a bit like herding cats because you'll have a range of trustees because you basically want a good range of people. So you've got somebody, the boring one at the end, me, saying these are the rules, this is what you have to do, and these, you know, we need to fill these forms in and do these valuations and jump through these hoops. You've then probably got somebody more like you, Andrew, who's telling people how to run their business and sell their grain yeah. and actually being the driving force of taking those assets forward. Mm. So look, as your, your range of trustees needs to have somebody driving it forward and Mr Pilcher with his foot on the brake well, <laughs> trying we, we, to keep you back to where you need to be. We, we didn't have you as a trustee at Yeah Grain, but you came in and helped us through our very early days, our for, forming and um, without any doubt, you were the man with the foot on the brake or the, or the <laughs> ob- observation that made us go, oh, we better not do that then, which was phenomenally helpful and all for free, <laughs> which I've got to say was really, really, It was well, it helped us so much. It was great fun. The, the great advantage of being able to be a trustee and help out in organisations is it's a bit different from accountancy. It makes life more fun. And as I've said to you before, Andrew, yeah, if you've been fortunate enough like a lot of us in my profession, to earn very good money and have a lot of fun working in industry, you really should put something back in. A lot of people don't understand the concept of doing something for the benefit of others or doing it for free. Uh, That's a fact. In in business, I've found the majority aren't actually that caring. And it's great to hear you say that that you do that. I I I think I'm very lucky that uh, I have the support of my fellow partners because clearly when Mm. I'm doing free work, I'm not doing charged work. But they generally understand that having their, in whatever you do in Larkingan, having people out there supporting the community is the right thing to do. It is amazing what comes from that. You get clients coming in, you get ad hoc advice coming in. Just as importantly, we get people applying who come to work for our team. I've got 47 people working just in agriculture. For me, most of those have come through connections with clients or through the college or through other work I've done over the years. And most of our team come from farming backgrounds, right. which makes our work so much easier because you can they don't have to sort of learn from day one what it, it is. it takes a certain person to understand a farmer, doesn't it, Grant? Sometimes? Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Being slightly polite and <laughs> But just a slightly change the subject, and I hate to bring up the word, but Brexit. Yeah, planning and sorry, Andrew's had a groan. Whose phones rung first? Is it yours or is it the land agents? Uh, I don't, often it's mine, I think, because we're then saying, well, who should we be talking to? Do we need to be talking to the lawyer next? Do we be talking to the land agent next? The one great joy of making the most progress with your clients is having a tight team of all their advisors talking to each other and trusting each other. 
the worst sort of meetings I go to is when everybody's thinking that everybody's clock is ticking away yeah. uh, and we're wasting time and all they're doing is running up the bill. Now, if you can have a quick meeting outside the main meeting with the beneficiaries or the farming family, and so the lawyer and the land agent and the accountant have got it all sorted out between them, they're not going to argue. It is a completely consolidated approach, shall we say. It works yeah. brilliantly. Yeah. I've had so many wonderful colleagues in the other support firms in Norfolk and Suffolk who I work with, who I've known for so many years. Mm. Uh, and it just makes it easy. Good to have a healthy relationship, sure, yeah. Very much. So is the, uh, is the buzzword diversification at the moment, is that... Yeah, diversification is an interesting comment, generally. You know, what is diversification? It's probably doing something different from what you're doing at the moment. And I've looked at diversification projects over the years very carefully. First off, you've got to have an interest in it. So there are lots of things that you can make money at, but if you don't want to do it, don't do it. One of the uh, joys of my farming clients that are a bit like me, they're not desperately keen on other people. And some of the diversifications need you to be quite polite to the great British public. Desperately keen on other people. Well, indeed. (laughs) Do you mean, get off my hand? (laughs) (laughs) It's possibly a solitary trade and you're happy with your own uh, company. But uh, yes, possibly along those lines. So if you are farming 2,000 acres on your own, it might be a bit lonely. But do you really want to turn those three cottages at the end of the drive into a holiday let and be polite to people who are coming who don't know farming? I've got a number of my clients have been very successful in turning the medieval barn or the equivalent into a wedding venue. And I can think of nothing more ghastly than a wedding venue. (laughs) Some of them are doing 150 weddings a year, 150 brides' mothers. To, yeah. <laughs> to be able to, to deal with at that stage and saying, you know, this, this napkin isn't salmon, it's pink or whatever yeah. it might be. You also get, uh, with diversifications, you go down a route where, where everybody runs along in the same way. So it's holiday lets. Yeah. And then we get stacked out with holiday lets. It's wedding venues, it's yeah, play yeah. barns or whatever it might yeah. be. Now, some of the best diversifications we've had in recent years are things when the politics was, was suggesting it were solar panels on the barn roof yeah it's a good bit of investment no people involved very little maintenance just get on with it good payback but is is there saturation even within that there is there's saturation with within most things um you have to really uh, want to do something and have an interest in it and you'll need to do your research the other thing is that everybody looks at uh, the capital cost without looking at the working capital so, for example, one of the simplest diversifications is to go and do more contract work. So we've got to buy a bit more kit and pay some more wages. What they don't then work out very easily without a bit of advice is at that stage you're doing all this extra work and you're only going to get paid once a quarter. How are you going to get through to the end of that quarter, paying your wages, paying your wearing parts, paying your fuel bill? Mm. So you do really have to have a very, very good tested business plan. What I want to know is what the next fad is. Uh, wouldn't we all? Oh, you must have a bit of, you know, there's a The few next ways. fad. Yeah. You see, I think the, the next fad at the moment is doing what you do well and not diversifying, strangely, okay. because I think we've tried most things. And fads are fads. They're, you just have to have somebody with a germ of an idea that can go off and make it work. See, Ian thought about uh, doing uh, dancing classes. Did he? Yeah, I, te- I can, teaching. I can see that. He's got the physique for it. He, it's sort of on the back of Strictly. <laughs> well, we recently had a party for the for the property business that we were involved with, and uh, and there was a moment when uh, Izzy said, "Come on, everyone else has danced, you haven't." And I think he was on the floor for about four seconds, 
Maybe. Maybe five. Dancing is quite interesting. I, many years ago, uh, I uh, went on dancing classes at Blythe Jack School with C.J. Pollitt, Michael Pollitt's wife. Okay. And C.J.'s worked with me from the firm for many, many yeah, years. Michael good. didn't want to dance. I wasn't that <laughs> Michael keen. didn't want to dance. Strangely. He'd had to take <laughs> his puffer off. Um, so we went to classes, and I was pretty awful. Mm-hmm. And I got traded in for an 85-year-old because <laughs> she wanted to get to the next stage uh, of dancing. And uh, I'm afraid I could get her to the end of the room, but I couldn't turn the corner. So uh, that was one of my less successful was diversifications the, from accountancy. Was it the Fandango? Uh, no, it was the quick step, I'm afraid. Nothing oh, even that, <laughs> that oh. exciting. Going back to diversification, it is those, those ideas, you know, tank museums or whatever it might be. Something you've got a passion for. Some of them, of course, if you've got a passion for, is just uh, a lame excuse for doing your hobby. Yeah, that's good, though, isn't it? Because you're going to make that happen, aren't you? Yeah, but only if there's a marketplace. I give you a good... Yeah, a lot of diversifications have been equestrian over the years, only because a lot of people like horses. I've got no problem with people liking horses. But it is difficult to make money out of equestrian because so many other people are doing it. Listen, I'm I'm experiencing the horse thing. My my two daughters have a pony each now, and it's it's like digging a very big hole and then getting all the money that you can dream of having (laughs) and pouring it down. And some more. You get a horse box, and then, oh, no, got to have a lorry. So the horse box, oh, right, that's gone. Let's get a lorry then, and, I mean, whatever next. Yeah, indeed. Anyway, we, now, what we what we do each week, uh, Grant, is we, we open a beer and we try it, despite it being recorded in the morning. Do you drink? I don't. I'm teetotal. So you're going to have to you're so gonna have to suffer. I think this Ian is why you I. chose me. <laughs> <laughs> more for you. Ian is doing is doing the honours at the moment. He can't work out how to use no it's a long way up. He can't actually open the bottle. <laughs> what have we got as you're pouring it on over the table, Ian? It says the word wild on the front of it. Oh, this could <laughs> Ian has managed to get one millimetre of beer and six inches of head in it. It's yes, got a very good head on it. It's gonna take twenty minutes, but we'll let that one settle. Put some in there and we'll 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 talk for five minutes and then it might just settle out. <laughs> Hopeless. Anyway, I shouldn't have shook the bottle, I know that. Have we had any farmers going into brewing? Yes, a number of my clients have gone into brewing in a small way, and uh, at the moment that is a good diversification. Uh, and if you happen to be a good grower of malting barley, there's a good story there. There's a direct one. Well, we have our, our friend Teddy Morph, don't we? Indeed. I've known um, Teddy for years. Do a lot of the uh, diversification ideas come from the next generation? I yes, very much generation. so. Is it the fresh energy and yeah. not calling the old, not calling the old farts, but... Well, something fresh, someone come on. The, the older generation had their ideas a few years ago. I'm still having ideas. What's going indeed. on here? Well, <laughs> my generation. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> he said that several weeks on the trot now. I'm getting a message. I don't know if anyone noticed this on the podcast. So Ian keeps talking about his generation and how the young, fresh ideas come through. Well, it's a, we have to wonder whether Ian is the young generation now. Oh, because <laughs> they're, they're coming through thick and fast. Uh, and sort of, I've known Ian for very many years, and have, when he yeah. when he was a very young generation indeed. Mm. And we can hardly say that his father was lacking in ideas. No, very true. And very what true. what you actually get is that you would tend to think it is the young generation. It's always the younger generation because they're planning for their career. Yeah. And when you get into your 50s, uh, you tend to think, well, I've probably done most of that. And you're then looking for the new opportunities. And you need someone with drive and ideas to go and move that forward. Ah, Still going, everybody. I'm not giving up yet. (laughs) 
But I suppose it must be nice to see two generations actually working together to a common goal. Absolutely. I mean, you pro- I'm sure yeah. you probably see plenty of clashes as well. Yeah. Family politics, I suppose. One of the main ideas with diversification, of course, is to make the cake bigger. So if you've got a growing family and, the, you know, mum or dad run the farm on their own, they've got two or three children. With the general view now that boys and girls both come back to the farm and want to run a business and they are treated equally and fairly, then you need the cake to be bigger, to be fairer. And so diversification often gives you the chance of taking something that's a standalone part of the business and being able to carry that forward. There is opportunity with land, with buildings, with location. Some people are just blessed with a fantastic location through just how it is. But there's also people who who live in just a very flat, ugly place that is never going to tempt tourists, is never going to, you know, what can you do in those environments? That's where it's much harder, isn't it? Well, then there are industrial options. You know, if you've got a good yard close to a reasonable road, then self-storage units, for example, or being able to let buildings out for other use. One of the things that's been quite popular recently is with the Type Q permitted development, where you've actually been turning redundant agricultural buildings into residential Mm. buildings, either then developing them yourself and keeping them, or passing them on and putting money back into the business. Because quite often a diversification needs the injection of some funds more than the bank are likely to lend. So sometimes it's what have we got in terms of surplus assets that we can reasonably dispose of, potentially get rollover relief for capital gains tax, take those funds into the new venture. And so Type Q has been quite useful because we have been turning redundant cart sheds into nice little houses, taking the money, building that into whatever we might be doing in terms of diversification. Mm. We better drink our beer. If I can get through the head of this stuff. (laughs) Wild summer pale and hoppy ale. Wild craft brewing. Well, we don't know where they are, do we? Better go and find them. This better be good, guys. Here we go. Yeah, that's kind of like a bit yeasty. That's all right, I'll drink that. It is Norfolk, uh, it is Norwich Beer Festival this week, which is ever popular. We've managed to avoid it, haven't we, and not get our glass, which is, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a strange one. We haven't actually been to the festival, have we? Although I suspect Josh went last night and he's not going to be very special this morning. We'll find out in a minute. So, Grant, thank you very much for coming in. I hope you're enlightened to the podcast world of doing Indeed. grain, though. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we like to educate, inform, and create humour. See things from a different way around. And, you know, your input today has been great. And uh, if anyone wants a trustee... <laughs> I'm, I might know somebody else who might want the job. <laughs> Grant, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, as they say, at all the best parties. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 